You are now entering Nowhere, California. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast sites like iTunes by searching Nowhere, California. A reminder, Nowhere, California podcast is our old feed, so please subscribe to Nowhere, California, our new feed. Also, you can get your Nowhere, California fix online by going to our official website, NowhereCalifornia.com, and emailing us at Nowhere underscore California at Yahoo.com. Ideas from everywhere, voices from nowhere since 2011. Welcome to Nowhere California Presents, our conversation with Ramon Fernandez. Hey everybody, it's Josh, and like I said, this is a Nowhere California Presents. This time around, we will be talking to Ramon Fernandez. He is the director behind the documentary Glory Days, The Life and Times of Michael Alec. If you need a quick refresher on who Michael Alec is, he was kind of the leader of the club kids scene in uh, the late 80s, early 90s of New York before, well, Giuliani uh, cleaned New York up for his own reasons. Anyways, also, Michael Alleg, if you remember from the movie Party Monster, which Macaulay Culkin played Alleg in that film, also uh, killed his drug dealer. There's no real way of beating around the bush on that one. Anyways, there's a lot to this documentary it basically follows the whole case, kind of the whole scene and the evolution of New York during that time. And also, too, it delves into the release of Michael Alleg into the normal world after serving 17 years in prison. As I sit here and talk, I know these introductions kind of just should be short because the conversation's a whole lot better than these introductions. So right now, I am going to throw it to my conversation with Ramon Fernandez the director of Glory Days, The Life and Times of Michael Alec. We are now joined by Ramon Fernandez. How's your day going, man? Good. Good. Beautiful day in New York City. Uh, same here in California. Um, it's early evening there right now? Uh, yeah, well, it's uh, 4.30 in the afternoon. Oh, okay. So yeah. not of an evening yet. So cool. We, we got you yeah. at a good time. Uh, I guess the best... Absolutely. Yeah, I guess the best way to start with any of this is uh, where did your creative passions begin? Creative passions, well, um, I actually graduated with a business degree, but a minor in theater, so I've been at it for, for a while. I, you know, uh, i got to tell you, my mother grew up, uh, well, she grew up, she, when I grew, was growing up, my mother was in the film business behind the camera in production, and so I was always sort of exposed to that world. Um, you know, I was kind of sort of the, the geeky kid that alphabetized his VHS videos, you know, and uh, so it's been it's been at it for a long time, and then basically I, I make my living as an actor uh, in California and New York, and uh, this is sort of my first time going behind the camera, uh, so it's been great, you know, um, very interesting. During your time in school and everything, did you always know that you are going to start with acting, or did you know that you are going to kind of have your hands in uh, like a lot of aspects of production? Yeah, no, acting is really what first and foremost came to me in, in this aspect, you know, the theater, obviously, uh, and I started, not even as an actor, I started actually building sets um, in the school theater, but then I would have access to the plays, so watching them, I sort of said, you know, I think I can do that, and uh, I took a, a semester and went off to London to study theater, and I just sort of fell in love with it, um, so that's really where it, it all started for me, it was only after that I sort of started getting to other aspects of it, and, and you know, from writing to directing, producing, and then eventually to editing as well. 
That's awesome. Um, during your time, like in school and everything, uh, who were some of the your favorite uh, performers, or what were some of your favorite movies that you kind of looked up to and kind of uh, focused oh, on wow. as inspiration? Well, that's uh, that's pretty loaded. I would have to say the things that that, that I would that I watched the most that were the biggest inspirations for me. I would say uh, were um, Blade Runner. I was a big fan of that. Um, there's a movie called uh, Harold and Maude. Uh, from the 70s that, that was very inspiring as well. Um, but I didn't know that you could do those things. Uh, you know, let's face it, the 70s were the best era for American cinema. It was the golden era, I would say. So anything that came out of that, uh, you know, out of that, you know, moment in time is something that is really going to turn my head. I love noir. Uh, and, you know, as far as performances, obviously, you know, the classics. Uh, as far as Scarface, Taxi Driver, you know, anything by by Marty Scorsese. Those are the things that really sort of get your attention at first, and then you sort of get to go a little bit more obscure into into other territory, you know, uh, Fitzcarraldo and and that sort of thing. That's amazing. Uh, I guess a uh, quick side question. Have you seen the new trailer for Martin Scorsese's Silence? I have not. I have not. It, um, it's, that's something that... It's going to be an interesting one from him. It. Yeah, well, you know, he's, it's great to see that he's that he's still at it, he's still working, and he's still hitting them out of the park. You know, uh, that generation of filmmakers really changed the zeitgeist. So it's it's wonderful to see that, and even even beyond uh, Marty, you know, it's great to see someone like Warren Beatty is about to come out with another film. Uh, great to see him working as well. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, again, because he does it all, he's like an Orson Welles. You know, you'll do the Foley if you let him. Yeah. So uh, I admire guys like that to sort of really take it on. That's awesome, man. Um, in, in your acting career, yeah. um, in your uh, list of credits and everything, you've done everything from like TV to film, and you've talked about doing some stage work too. Is there a particular format yeah. that you prefer above another? Yeah, I, I'd say I'm more of a camera guy. Uh, uh, you know, I've done theater. I've, I've, been, I've been on tour. I've been naked on stage, <laughs> which is as, as, as expressive as you can get. Uh, as an actor um, but I'm really much more into lenses and lighting and what does the DP think about this and I like the fact that you're able to do something and do it and do it and do it until it's not going to get any better and that's there for all of posterity um, rather than doing something and be great and then having to get up the next day and do it all over again uh, theater to me is kind of like going back to school kind of like punching a clock and, and you reach a point where you hit a wall there's only so many ways that you can do it um, the, on the other hand you get the immediate feedback from the audience right then and there which is wonderful you know and and depending on how the audience is reacting it, it ultimately affects your performance you know they give to you you give back to them and it becomes a sort of symbiotic uh, relationship which is great but uh, given the chance, given the choice, I, I'll go with camera uh, any day. Yeah, I like it a lot better. That's a great answer. Um, now to kind of jump into uh, what brought us into this conversation, your documentary, uh, Glory Days. Uh -huh. um, what led you into uh, taking on this uh, topic of Glory Days, and what did you know about the the case of uh, Michael Algie? I always butcher his last name. Alec. Yeah. Ali, um, what'd you I know about to, that case? I used, to go to, I used to go to his parties back in the 90s, and, uh, you know, I didn't know him personally, but obviously I knew of him because 
Rossi was the one sort of putting it all together. Um, they ran four clubs, and it was a very decadent time in New York. So I, for me, it was kind of like, uh, you know, it took me eight years to make the movie. And so about eight years ago, I, I, I was just wondering whatever happened to that guy, because I knew about the case. I remember reading about the case, and then he just sort of disappeared. Uh, they made a couple of movies back then, um, but I, I, I thought that the story really hadn't been told properly, you know, uh, and now that it's 20 years in retrospect, it's, it's much easier to sort of look back and just say, okay, what, what, what exactly happened 20 years ago? You know, it's, it's long enough that we can look back on it with that lens and, and to do it properly. And so I was fortunate enough to, to get a hold of him in prison and uh, pitch him the story that I had in mind, and uh, which was basically raw, real, and you know, not a fluff piece. Um, I really wanted to just document what happened when he got out of prison, and uh, he agreed, and we we were off to the races, and it, and it came out, you know, it turned out to be a pretty interesting piece. You know, documentaries kind of write themselves; you don't have a choice uh, as to what people are going to say in front of your camera. It just happens. So um, that was that was interesting to go on that sort of ride along with it as a, not just the guy making the picture, but also as an audience member myself, because I'm watching it happen, unfold be- before me. And, and there's not too much control that I have over it, certainly not over Michael Allen. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a little bit that you kind of were in that, uh, I, not really like the inner circle, but you were part of that, I guess, scene. Um, for the listeners that might not know exactly everything about the case, can you give them kind of a quick summary of, I guess, basically the idea, the story, the story yeah. Yeah, yeah, so basically what happened was Michael Alec, uh is a, you know, he's a gay man who came from a small town uh, in Indiana and came to New York and basically created his own scene. Uh, he started with throwing little parties as a promoter at uh, Tunnel Basement, and little by little it started to grow, and uh, he created an army of misfits who basically took over the city for about 10 years, and they ran nightlife when New York was very decadent, and there was no war on drugs, and you could virtually get away with anything, including murder. Uh, And so he, in a drug-fueled fight with his drug dealer, he ended up killing him, and rather than call the police, they just stayed in the house and uh, kept the body in the tub and did all the drug dealers drugs and then after a week it was too late to basically call anybody so they dismembered the body and put the torso in a TV box and dumped it in the river and due to the fact that they didn't punch a hole in the box the river I mean the, the, the box floated all the way down the river to Staten Island and he eventually was apprehended by the police and put in jail for 17 years, and he just got out two years ago. And so the third act is, is once Michael Alec has come out of prison, it's very interesting to see a guy who, you know, missed 17 years and what 17 years to have missed. He didn't know really what the internet was. He'd never been on it. He'd, he'd never spoken on a cell phone. Uh, he'd never seen Times Square without the hookers and the pimps and the porn theaters. Oh, wow. Uh, so it was really interesting to, yeah, basically take him all around New York and show him the new New York, sort of like a man traveling through time uh, in a time machine from 1997. Yeah. Uh, so 
you know, it was it was an interesting uh, experience to go through. That's that is interesting to hear about. Um, yeah, like how you're talking about um, talking with Michael and everything. How was it talking to Michael, especially in the sit down interviews, and also talking to the people that were actually in that scene and part of the case and just in that period of time, part of that moment? Well, it's good. I mean, no, I, I ended up with 43 interviews, so I, you don't even hear me speak in the, in the documentary. They just finish off each other's sentences and tell us the whole story. It's the way that it's cut. They're very eccentric, and um, these people are survivors because they come from an era in New York where there was a huge AIDS epidemic in the mid-'80s, um, and these are pretty much the remnants of, of that era. Uh, so they're all very eccentric, very uh, very uh, peculiar. Michael himself, um, you know, I sort of described him when I, when I first met him as sort of Andy Warhol meets the Joker. <laughs> you know, uh, he's just a very, you know, artistically talented, but the, you know, he has that dark side about him. And so you never really know what you're going to expect. But the, the way that the movie is put together is you don't really see him until late in the second act, uh, when I finally reveal him in prison talking about uh, the murder itself. Everything leading up to that point is other people talking about him. And uh, we see him only in archival footage and in black and white pictures and so on. And then there's this big reveal. And then we go to present time and we continue forth. Uh, so it was it was very interesting. And I, and I was fortunate enough to have enough time to be able to track all of these people down and, uh, and get the diff- difference and varied opinions that there are of him. Because, like I said, this is not a fluff piece. It's, it, there are haters in this movie. There are people that simply don't like him. So I wanted a, a big variety of not just his friends and you know and, and family and so on, but people that knew him peripherally, people that you know. I, I got the cops that found the body, you know. So it's a it's a very comprehensive piece about about a uh, story that has been told before, but never in depth like this. And uh, you talked a little bit about the other movies that have been made um, about this case and the story and everything. Uh, There's one in particular, um, or. Is it okay to talk about that one? I know sometimes that's kind of, of a... Course. Okay. No, sure. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Party Monster movie, and what were some of the, the your uh, interviews, interviewee, interviewers' thoughts of that movie compared to the in-depth uh, documentary that you're trying to pull off? Right. Well, I'll tell you, you know, that's, that's a movie, and this is a documentary. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, and, and it didn't have a very big budget. Um, the director of that movie, Fenton Bailey, is actually in my film, uh, so I, I sort of encompass it. Um, and not only that, but when Michael gets out of prison, we sit him down and make him watch Party Monster. Oh crap! <laughs> and we have his and we have his reaction on it. Yes, and uh, you know his reaction is what it is. Uh, he, you know, obviously doesn't really recognize himself in Macaulay's performance. Uh, he sounds more like Richie Rich. Yeah, but the essence of the character does come through, and uh, you know, so it wasn't a one-to-one performance. He wasn't really trying to, to nail him down, but to sort of get what happened. Um, you know, I've heard different reactions to it. Michael's reaction was he gave it a beat. Uh, eventually, he said that it grew on him. But but one of the funny things that he said is, I don't know if now I'm going to have to start imitating Macaulay McCulkin imitating me in order for people to believe that it's actually me. <laughs> Because that's not how I am at all, you know. But eventually, you know, it sort of grew on him. 
movie. Um, and I hope that, you know, my picture uh, can sort of be a bookend to, to that film and, and, and look, so we can look back on it with some nostalgia at least. But yeah, you know, it's a fascinating story, so I'm not surprised that it's, it's been told more than once. Uh, definitely thank you for answering that because as uh, as I was prepping for this I was like okay I I want to ask him but also too I know it's kind of could be like uh, there could be a fine line there <laughs> yeah no worries no worries Fenton Fenton was very generous with me that that's awesome so, yeah as yeah, a, as a, the, the director and uh, co-writer of this project what was your process of uh, piecing together the information and since this is such a different world compared to fiction so, like, getting a fiction script put together is a totally different ballpark compared to actually piecing right. together a documentary. How right. how was that process? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's you, you, it's it's an onion basically, and then you peel a layer, and there's another one, and then you keep going, and sort of like what you're doing, you know, right now. Uh, you get a question, you get an answer, and then you you ask a question based off of that answer, and you get deeper and deeper. Uh, you know, there was a lot of elements of this story that I simply didn't know um, that were revealed to me as I was shooting it, and sometimes at the very moment that the person would speak about it on camera. Uh, but for the most part, I tried to do as much research as I possibly could. Of course, I watched the previous films about it, but I, I had seen them, but I didn't want them to influence me too much um, because it's, it's, it's just a unique piece that I wanted to put out to the world. But, um, you know, the aspects of Giuliani's cleanup of New York and how that all happened and how much that contributed to the downfall of the Super Club era in New York. Uh, there are no more Super Clubs in New York right now. Uh, there used to be several. And, you know, I never thought that I'd see the day when, when there wouldn't be a place where you can fit, you know, an entire city block uh, full of people. Um, now it's it's gone to smaller lounges and... and bottle service and so on. So the movie, I tried to explain how we got to that place. The, the, the second character in this movie is definitely New York City. It's a, it's a love letter to New York. And so uh, it has its own arc. And so that took a lot of research. You know, how exactly did Julianne clean up the city? Uh, how did that affect, uh, sociologically speaking, you know, after 9-11 happened, that was it. You know, once Twilo closed and 9-11 happened, that was just a different New York City altogether that never came back. And if I'd known that it was going to disappear, I would have partied a little bit harder in those last few days. Yeah. But uh, it just, you know, that's just what happened. So that was, because I knew the story of Michael and, and Angel and so on. And of course, there's going to be details that pop up when you speak to the people that, that were there. But uh, the thing that I learned most about was, was in fact, uh, uh, the general cleanup, the crackdown that happened in New York. And, and how it led to the New York of today. That's awesome. Uh, and also, too, uh, are, are you planning on continuing to make documentaries, or do you have other projects that you want to work in other genres? Well, yeah, well, right now, um, you know, this took a lot, and it took a lot out of me. I cut the whole thing myself um, with no assistance, and so it took me 10 months locked up, basically going through eight years of material, um, which is very daunting. Um, so right now I'm really just switching gears. I'm acting again right now. I'm in New York City shooting uh, something for Marvel that I can't talk about Ooh. because I have an NDA that I've signed with them, but it's fabulous. All you had to say and, was Marvel. Uh, what I am, yeah. <laughs> but what I am doing next is uh, I, did, I did an episode of 
and then I did the documentary and I won the Manhattan Film Festival with it. So those are sort of calling cards uh, for me to do my next piece, which I want to hopefully do next year, and I will announce it then. But I'm, I'm in the middle of writing it right now, and I think it's going to be great. Uh, that's awesome. And um, yeah. as more people see Glory Days, uh, what are your hopes for this project as time progresses? Well, I hope it becomes a classic. You know, obviously, I hope it becomes a cult film. I know that Alec has fans all over the world that are sort of obsessed with this whole thing. And so I certainly hope that it can, you know, reach the status that Party Monster got. You know, I think that I have the potential to. Um, the reviews right now are through the roof. Um, people are loving it. And so I just hope to keep it going and that it's one of those movies that becomes sort of a household name. That's the best that you can ask for. That is very true. Um, and you, yeah. talk, you talked a little bit about some of your upcoming projects. Um, do you have any other ones you want our listeners to know about? And also, too, where can we find you online? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, of course, on IMDb. I'm on Facebook. Um, Electric Theater Pictures is our production company. We also have uh, uh, Facebook page for that and uh, Glory Days is all over also Michael Alec has 32,000 followers on Twitter and uh, so where you know the movie can be found on Amazon on iTunes on Google Play and many many others so if you look up Glory Days with a Z the life and times of Michael Alec uh, I think it's uh, you'll you'll definitely get your money's worth it's a two hour documentary that uh, I think people will definitely enjoy I made the movie that I wish I could see, so I hope the public agrees with me. Well, as a filmmaker, that's all you can really ask for is to be happy with your project, and hopefully everybody will agree with that. Precisely. Okay. Precisely. So I'm very happy with it, and uh, and it just got out last week, and so far it's been a locomotive. People have been talking about it. People are having uh, uh, parties all over the nation where they're wearing glitter and champagne, and they're, they're getting dressed up and putting on makeup and watching this movie. I only wish it could have been in the movie theaters, but alas, it's a documentary, and this is how documentaries are watched right now from the comfort of your own home. So I hope that people just have a party and watch this thing. And, and you know, I, I, I call it edutainment, because, yeah, you're going to be thrilled, but you're also going to learn a lot, you know, about, about that era and about New York City and about uh, uh, that lifestyle in general. So I just hope, I really hope people enjoy it. Well, we'll definitely uh, be posting our own reviews on NorthCalifornia.com of the documentary. Looking forward to reading it. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to giving another watch again. And uh, with Nowhere California, we have a particular question we like to end every interview with. So we're going to pose it to you, Ramon. Uh, what is your favorite What the Fuck movie moment? <laughs> It, it, it's one of our wow. favorites. We, we've gotten such uh, like a mixed bag of answers from everybody. We've talked to like Sid Haig, uh, Heather Landingcamp, uh, Rob Polson, Lance Hendrick, right. and, and just gotten like some really interesting answers. Oh, wow. Well, that is, that is really that is crazy um, because there are so many. Um, my favorite What the Fuck mo- movie moment, I guess. Yeah. There's a scene in Scarface where this guy is uh, chained up, and uh, the guy has a, um, uh, what do you call those? An electric, uh, what do you chop trays down with? Uh, electric chainsaw? Yeah, chainsaw. Yeah. Right? And, he's, and he's asking Tony. 
Tony Montana to give him the information. And so he puts it over the guy's head and he drills right into his brain. <laughs> and, you know, obviously the guy's dead. And uh, then the guy goes to Tony, now the leg, huh? And so it's kind of what the fuck because uh, you would start with the leg, right? Yeah. And then maybe go to the head. So that's one thing that never made any sense to me. You know, you already took the guy's head off. What do you care about drilling into his leg at this point? I never understood that. Oh, so, I totally agree with you. What the fuck moment. That is a great <laughs> one. Thank you so much, Ramon, for talking with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, thank you so much for reviewing the film. 